The thief comes only to kill and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. Now, those are not the words of a self-help guru. Those are not the words of a financial planner promising you an abundant future. Those are not the words of an escape artist just trying to ignore the realities of a tough world all around us. Those aren't the words of a salesman trying to sell you a timeshare at the beach with all the promises of fun in the sun. No, these are the words of the Son of God. The very creator of all things says those words to us who would believe in him, that he came to bring you life and life more abundantly. Now, what does that mean? Well, today as I stand on this beautiful river, uh, we're gonna take a look at a psalm, a beautiful psalm today that's going to show us exactly what Jesus was talking about. In light of the words of Christ, what if there's more to life than you thought was possible? In fact, what if you were meant for more? I bet there's this nagging feeling inside of you often in your daily life where you look around and you think, it's gotta be more than this, right? I'm here to tell you today that there is. In fact, that's exactly what God promised us life and life more abundantly. And what we're gonna do today is we're gonna look at one more river together. It's a river that is described in Psalms by King David himself. As he looked forward to the coming Christ, he talks to us about a river that we're all gonna wanna be a part of, a river we will all wanna jump in and enjoy. It's called the River of Delights. And today my hope is you will not just admire this river, you will actually step in, that you will run to the end of the pier on the shore and actually jump into the waters. In fact, I hope today you'll drink, drink deeply of this river, the River of Delights. So today we're gonna to take a look at the River of Delights. And to see that, we're gonna to go to Psalm 36. If you have your Bibles or your devices, if you'll go there with me now, uh, we're gonna begin by looking at verse eight. Listen to the words of King David as he writes this. He says, they feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. Now those are absolutely beautiful words coming from David, talking about his God. These are not the words of a person who is distant in his relationship to God. These are, these are intimate words. And, and I love the joy that is palpable in the words of David here. In fact, as a believer, I want to experience and admire and love God in the way David does here. David had a way of articulating what was going on in his heart. In fact, generations of believers uh, across across time and history have, have grabbed onto the words of David to help them make a voice and make words out of what's going on in their own hearts. And here David hits it on the head when he says, drinking of the river of God is really a river of delights. Walking into his house is really a house of abundance. This is a man whose heart is on fire with love and delight for his God. And this is exactly what God wants to do in all of us. So as we take a look at this, what does David mean by a river of delights? What delights is he speaking of? And, and we're gonna find out by, by going a few verses back. We're gonna see what he wrote leading up to this powerful verse eight. And what was he talking about when he said the river of delights? Now he's talking about the attributes of our God. 
So to find out what David meant by delights, we're going to go back. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6 for a moment. Let's read those verses now. Psalm 36, 5 through 6 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. Now as we, as we look at this, we're, we're going to see four things, four attributes about our God that David considers delights. When David speaks of the river of God and, and it being full of delights, this is what he's talking about, the very attributes of God. So when Jesus talks about life and life more abundantly, he's not talking about more stuff, more houses, more things, more success. He's talking about the, the deep things in life. He's talking about more purpose, more meaning. He's talking about more relationship. He's talking about himself. So now let's explore the four attributes of God that David considered to literally be like a river of delights. So now let's look at the four attributes of God that David considered to be delights. Uh, so as we look, the first one he speaks of is the steadfast love of God uh, being as high as the heavens. Uh, this is a majestic look at the love of God. He's talking about God's love for us. Have you ever considered how much God loves you? Well, this is gonna be an encouraging day for you because many of you have been abandoned by people. You've been hurt. You know how fragile and how flaky the love of people can be at times. But God's not like that. God's not one to tell you that he loves you and then change his mind next week. No, no, God's love, David says, is steadfast love. And his love for us is absolutely astounding because it's not a love that we earn, certainly not. Now, we've all rebelled against him. It's not a love that we, uh, that we make easy at times, right? I don't know about you, but when I think about God's love for me, sometimes I wonder why in the world does he love me so much? Because frankly, at times I feel very unlovable, but yet God loves us. In fact, the book of uh, 1 John says these powerful words in chapter four. It says, uh, the Bible, the gospel, the beauty, the majesty of God's love is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his own son to pay for our sins, to set us free. And so it makes it real clear here, the astounding thing about the Bible and about this whole thing with our relationship with God is not our love for him. Because frankly, our love for God even is fickle at times, right? At times, frankly, our hearts can be idol factories. We end up worshiping the wrong things. We end up placing God kind of even with other things in our lives, which he is so much worthy of so much more than that. So it's not that we hang on to as a foundation, our love for God. The thing we're hanging on to, the, the anchor of our boat when we're in the river of life is God's love for us. And David sees that. David knew his own heart like you and I do. He, he knew that he was fickle. He knew that there were days he was on fire and there were days that he wasn't. He knew there were days when he was gonna, uh, there'd be days when he would pray and that he would spend time and worship God passionately. But he also knew the ebb and flow of a fallen heart, uh, a sinful person, the flesh. David battled those things. So he knew all, all too well uh, that he could be hot one minute and cold the next. But he had seen something about God and his love for him. And it was this, that God's love is unchanging. In fact, here's good news. If you are in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, uh, then you are in a relationship with God that, that is 
loaded. It's full of this incredible love for you that he has. And his love for you will not change. You can't make God love you more and you can't make God love you less. And my friends, that is really, really good news. Secondly, David says there's this incredible attribute called the faithfulness of God. He says your faithfulness to the clouds. Again, he's trying to get you to see this majesty, this majesty. Why why does God uh, speak through people like David in the Bible? And why does he use illustrations uh, that we can understand? They're familiar to us, right? Because we, here's why, we would never understand the majesty of God and his love for us and his faithfulness if he didn't grab onto things that we're familiar with to help us understand. So through David, God tells us, my love for you is, is, is high, like the sky, like the clouds, my faithfulness. It's, it's epic in its size for you. It's things that we can grab onto. And here David begins with, God's astounding love for us that is steadfast. And then he talks about his faithfulness. What does this mean? Well, God's faithfulness is that he'll never let go of you. He'll never let you down. In fact, the Bible tells us this about his faithfulness in Deuteronomy uh, 31. It says this, he will not let go of you. He is never going to leave you or forsake you. That's really good news because if you've lived this life very long, you've been left and forsaken. You've had friends Uh, talk about you behind your back. You've had people betray you. You've had people lie about you. If you live this life very long, you will find out that, that faithfulness is very hard to find in someone, right? But you have found it if you have a relationship with God. God is faithful when we are not. In fact, our relationship with God, according to the gospel, is not that we're going to be faithful to him. It's going to be that he will be faithful to us even on the days when we're not. And frankly, we all will have those days. And David was astounded. Again, David knew how absolutely up and down his passion, his love for God could be. And he also knew that there were days he wasn't faithful. We all know that David was a spectacular sinner at times in his life. He, he fell really big. He had had an affair. He became a murderer at one point in his life. David certainly went up and down in his life. So he was astounded that God remained faithful to him. God kept his promises to David. And David was assured. It it brought him great joy. David considered this attribute of God a delight because when he thought about God, he knew that his eternity was assured. He knew that his future was assured and that it did not depend on his ability to be good all the time or get it right all the time. He knew that his relationship with God depended on the faithfulness of God. And David had seen the proof throughout his life that God was faithful. Now, that was a delight to David. I hope that this attribute of God will be a delight to you. I want you to know that you can depend on God. Everything God has said that he will do, he will do. The Bible tells us that the work he has begun in you as a believer, he will be faithful to complete it. And so if you're like me, sometimes you look around your life and you think, God, are you really, really gonna finish this work that you've started in me? And I want, you, I want to tell you, you can depend on the fact that he will. Some days it'll look like you're taking steps backwards, but I'm telling you, God's not done. He's still writing your story. And David found out in the ups and downs of his life that not only was God's love for him astoundingly epic in its proportions, but his faithfulness was something he could anchor his life to. Not only that, but David goes on and he tells us that God's judgments are massive in scope. 
In fact, he compares them to the depths, which is a comparison to the oceans. And we all know that the earth is, is predominantly oceanic, right? It's mostly ocean, mostly water. And we haven't, do you know that the, the true frontier that we've really not uh, explored very much is the oceans. There's tons of parts of our oceans that we haven't even explored yet. No telling what's living down there, right? I don't know about you, but when I go to the beach, I think about that a little bit. I'm like, you know, they're really not sure what's out here. And, and when David wanted to describe to us the judgment of God, he, he described it as being epic, like the depths of the oceans. Now, why would this be a good thing? You would think judgment would be a negative thing, but David sees it as a is a delightful attribute of God, and here's why. Because God's judgments means that he's just. What, what David's talking about here is that you can depend on God to be just. He is just. He will exact justice, and you can depend on that. God doesn't change. He's not duplicitous. Uh, he's going to do what he says he's going to do, including when it comes to judging what is right and wrong. There is a plumb line, if you will, that helps us know where truth is, and God is the one that decides that. God always, always will judge appropriately, rightly, biblically, and it's out of his character. God is always right, and he always does what's right, and that brings us to another one of these incredible things about him, and that is his righteousness. They go together, by the way. Because God is perfect, he judges perfectly. Because God is righteous, his judgments are righteous. And so David sees the connection. See, there are judges in this world, human judges, that make mistakes sometimes. They don't always get it right. In fact, sometimes human judges can allow their own emotions, their own proclivities, their own likes and dislikes to cloud the vision of their judgments. Human judgment is not always infallible. In fact, often it is not. That's not true with God. David says God is righteous, meaning that he's right all the time, and that means his judgments are always going to be right. And in fact, the Bible tells us that God is always true, and he's always right. And in fact, without Jesus giving us his own righteousness, we couldn't have even had a relationship with God and eventually an eternity with him. So David looks at these attributes of God, God's love for us, God's faithfulness, God's righteousness in his judgments. And he says, these are all delightful. These are the things that make me love God. These are the things I can depend on. He doesn't change. His judgments are right because he is true and right. He doesn't change his mind. He's not duplicitous. He's not up and down. And what David is doing is he's really contrasting the attributes of God with his own life. David understands that he's not always loving, but God is. David understands that he certainly has not always been faithful, but God has always been faithful. And David knows all too well that he himself, not righteous, that he could not have a relationship with God unless God made it possible. And David, of course, was looking forward to the future uh, when Jesus himself would become our righteousness. And then David understood that, that he himself had made mistakes as a man of authority, as a man of influence. He had he had wielded his power and authority in ways that were even sinful at times, but not God. God's judgments were always right because he was righteous. And when David looked at all of this, the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, he said, it's like a river of delights. So what, what David does here in the beginning of this psalm that we're looking at today is David is admiring the river of God and his delights. 
David is standing at the shore and he's describing God to us, a God of love and faithfulness, a God of judgment, but judgments that are right because he's a righteous God. And David says, if you'll sit on the shore with me for a minute, I'll, I'll describe to you the most beautiful river in the universe. And it's a river of delights. It's the river of the attributes of God, but he has one more. Look what he says there at the end. He says, not only are you loving and faithful, and not only do you judge perfectly because you are righteous, but in the end he says, and you save us. You save man. Now what does this mean? It means that he is also merciful. In the end, David speaks of his mercy. And he understands that God is righteous. This is David looking into the future with clouded vision. He's seeing something that we look back on with total clarity. We see the cross with clarity. David was looking forward to the cross. He had placed his faith in what God would do to make a way for him to have a relationship with his heavenly father. And David says, I see the mercy of God. He says, not only is God righteous and perfect, and because of that perfect holy standard, he will judge and he will judge justly and he has holy wrath that's totally, uh, totally right in all of its ways. But then David says, but in all of his holiness and righteousness and judgment, God has found a way to set us free, uh, to show us mercy. He saves us, and we now know how God would save. Again, David's, David had a cloudy picture. We have perfect clarity. We know that in order for those words to be true that David just spoke, in, in order for that river to truly be delightful, Jesus would come himself, born as a man, God himself taking on human flesh and that he would die on a cross and take on the justice of God for us. And David looking into the future said, not only do I see a perfect God, I see a merciful God. Not only do I see a God who judges and judges rightly, but I see a God who will also show us mercy. This is beautiful. And David says, when you look at this, listen, it sets his heart on fire. And so the question I would ask today is, when's the last time you walked up to the edge of the river of God and just admired him? When's the last time you worshiped him uh, for the epic proportions of his love for you? When's the last time you really meditated on just how much God loves you and how different his love for you is than anyone else has ever loved you or that you've ever loved anyone else? When's the last time you, you thought about the fact that God loves you more than you could ever love him? When's the last time you stood on the shores of the river of God and noticed and, and saw that he is faithful? When's the last time you just sat at water's edge and thought about his righteousness and judgment, which led you to his mercy? So I invite you today to do like David did. Stand at the edge of the river of delights, the attributes and characteristics of our great God, and admire him. Remember who he is. Remember his love, his faithfulness, his judgment, his righteousness. And then uh, look at his mercy. Look at how good he has been to you. Remember his mercy for you. And when you do that, it will stir your affection for God. So now look at verse 7 of Psalm 36. It says this, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Now, once again, God is using something we're all familiar with to help us understand his love and faithfulness to us. Look what he says. He says, you will find refuge underneath my wings. Now, God does not have wings. That's not what he's saying here. He's using an illustration. We all know how a mother bird will do with her babies, right, her young. What, what does she do? And she hides them under her wings. 
when it's raining, when it's snowing, when it's windy, when there's a predator, she will get her young underneath her wings and protect them, and she will take on the elements. She will take on the danger so that they can be protected. And what David was doing here is he was looking forward to the cross of Christ. Because what Jesus would do for David in the past and for us in the future is he would take us under the wings of his mercy. And on the cross, Jesus took the justice and the wrath of God. He took the penalty for our sin. And we, all of us who believe by faith, are like baby birds, really. It's an illustration we can understand. We hide underneath the mercy of God like great wings. Like little baby birds, totally helpless, we stand beneath the mercy of Jesus. And he, like a mother bird, protects us, takes it for us. And in doing so, does what David says. He saves us. He loves us. These are beautiful illustrations. Do you understand that God loves you so much that he sent his own son to to protect you, to save you, to take on the elements for you? And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus took the humility that we, the humiliation that we deserve. Jesus took on the sin that we had incurred, the debt that we owed. He took all of that for us. Again, it's the perfect picture. Can you just see that mother bird in the nest with the rain pelting down and the wind blowing, protecting her babies? That's what God has done for us. And David says, when you look at this mercy and love and faithfulness of God, you will be delighted. You'll fall in love with him. You'll want to follow him. You'll want to give your life to him. Why? Because he's, he's the God who gives us a river of delights. Now, see, when, when we see the delights that are in that river, the delights aren't things that we can put our hands on in this earth. No, no, they are otherworldly. They are the very nature attributes, characteristics of our God who loves us and who is faithful to us, just like a mother bird would be to her babies. God loves you. And he did all of this for you and for me. So now we come to the verse that we started with. And really, this is the verse that's going to end the entire river series because it kind of brings us full circle. Jesus said in John 8 that if anyone thirsts, let him come to him, Jesus, and drink. Remember that? Well, let's look at verse 8 again here in Psalm 36. It says, They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. That first, that first statement, you will feast on the abundance of the house of God. What does this mean? This means we are in a relationship with God uh, that is very intimate. Now David has moved from standing on the bank and admiring the river to getting in the river. We have now moved from admiration of God's attributes to experiencing God's attributes. That's the difference in standing on the edge of the dock and running off the end of it and diving into the cool water of the river. And now David's in the river. He's inviting you into the river. Now it's experiential. And the first thing he says is he says, when you're a child of God, you have access to a house that's full of food and full of wonder and full of comfort and protection. It's an awesome house and it's God's house, but he's invited you into it because you have been adopted. The Bible tells us that he has made us sons and daughters of God through Jesus Christ. What an unbelievable truth that we have there. David could see it. David could see the day when through the Messiah, through Jesus, and his death and his blood, that we would all be a part of the family of God by grace through faith. David could see it, and he describes it as a house of abundance. Now, I love this about my kids. I have three kids. And my kids, when they talk about our home, they will say, our house. 
They'll say, our food, our furniture, our yard. Let me let you in on a little secret. My kids are 15, 12, and 10. None of them have ever paid a mortgage payment on our house. They've never helped pay the power bill. None of that. Sometimes I think about charging them rent, but I don't think I'll get very far with that. Here's the point. My kids know that because they are my children, our house is our house. It's their house too. The food in the fridge is theirs. They don't have to ask me permission. They just open the fridge. Uh, the, the drinks, the milk, it's, it's theirs too. The yard to play in, the trampoline, it's theirs. The bikes in the garage belongs to them too, though they, they didn't buy any of it. My wife and I, we bought all of it. We pay the bills. We put the roof over their head. We went to the grocery store and got the food. But here's the deal. We're a family. I'm their dad. They're my children. They bear my last name. Got my genetics for good or uh, for bad. And, and here's the deal. My house is their house. And God uses that same imagery for you and I. And he says, my house is a house of abundance and it's your house. You can come and feast in my house. Make yourself at home. The Bible says that because of Jesus, we can now walk boldly into the holy of holies. In other words, we have access to the very throne room of God. We get to walk in the door of the house. We don't even have to ring the doorbell. Why? Because it's our house. Because God has adopted us. He's our father. We are his children, sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. And then we come to the river. And David says, the river of God is a river of delights. And now you know what those delights are. This is not a river to just admire, though you should. You should admire God's river with worship. You should talk about it, see it. Notice more and more about how beautiful the river of the delights of God is. See what he's done in your own life. You'll have your own little stories to tell about this river of the delights of God. Again, his river's not more houses or money or success, none of that stuff. That stuff's just everyday stuff. This is otherworldly. This is the characteristics of the living God. You were created for this river. But in the end, David says, it's not enough just to admire this river. Got to get in. In fact, David would say exactly what Jesus said in John 7. Come to this river and drink. And Jesus said, this river never stops flowing and it never runs dry. You'll never thirst again. This is a river of delights that's for you to drink. So today, what I would say to all of us watching and joining us from wherever you're joining us, I would invite you to the edge of the river of God. I want you to see his love, faithfulness, his justice and righteousness, and his mercy for us, and I want you to admire it. I want you to be blown away by it because it'll begin to stir this love and affection for him. And then I want you to see that what he has for you is life and life more abundantly. And, and, and that life is wrapped up not in stuff, not in your next success or your next big thing, it's wrapped up in him. See, God gives us himself. It's the greatest gift of all. The greatest thing he offers us is the very water of his own character, his own love for us. And today I will tell you as we close the river series that God loves you, sent his own son to die for you. Jesus said, no love is like that love that lays down his life for his friends. And then he says this, he says, and those of you who keep my commands, you are my friends. What does he mean by that? Does he mean that we have to keep his commands to stay in his good graces? No, no, no. What he means is if we are in relationship with him by grace through faith, 
that we will end up living a life that looks different. We will end up following his commands. Why? Because he has changed our hearts. And the reason David lived more and more and more as a man after God's own heart is because his heart had been transformed by the river of delights. Listen, don't settle for religion. Don't settle for just going to church. Don't settle for just uh, living a mundane life where you tip your hat to God from a distance, where you just stand on the shore and say, that's a good looking river, I'll, I'll, I'll pass on jumping in. No, no, today I wanna invite you, jump in the river, take a drink, believe upon him, trust in him, because he will never let you down his love for you is epic in its proportions. As we close this series today, thank you for taking this journey through the rivers with us. But my hope is, is that you will not let this series end without you yourself running to the end of the pier and taking the jump. Let your body fall into the cold water, the refreshing waters of the character of God because my friends, you were created for his river of delights.